This is CliffCentral.com. So a good friend of mine says, the stupidest thing that anyone could ever do is take all their money and put it into crypto tokens. The second stupidest thing that they could do is not at least take some. South African Reserve Bank is a little bit obsessed at the moment with making sure that it dots all the I's and crosses all the T's with respect to regulation around cryptocurrencies. A lot of people are worried about what the opportunities might represent in terms of how government gets its greedy little hands on your profits and also what the dangers might be if the entire market falls apart. Who do you resort to? Who can you rely on? Who understands this stuff inside the structures that currently exist better than anyone else? The Decrypto series is sponsored by Luno, Africa's first cryptocurrency platform. Dr. Arif Ismail is the head of fintech at the South African Reserve Bank. Whew, that's, in some ways, it's a great position, and you must be you must be one of the smartest people in the whole country. But in some ways, it must also be a terrifying place to be because. Fintech, everybody's throwing it around like it's a plaything at the moment, but at the Reserve Bank, it's very serious. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> very nice to meet I you. I think absolutely, absolutely. Gareth, I think you captured it uh, spot on. <laughs> it is probably one of the most exciting times in my career. I've spent a lot of time in payments uh, over many, many years. All right. But goodness gracious me, it's exciting because I think almost every facet of financial services is being reimagined. I had an interest, uh, together with uh, a number of other colleagues, in pursuing what's happening with virtual currencies, what's happening with online peer-to-peer lending, uh, what's happening with blockchain. And um, over time, the governors decided uh, that this was an important area to focus in on. And we picked the short end of the straw. I mean, that would all... Non-seriousness. With your tongue in your cheek. No. Um, so Reserve Bank is there for a number of reasons. Right. And actually... Anyone could become a bank if they went to the Reserve Bank and asked for a license and the Reserve Bank thought that they were good enough to have one. Yeah. So it's not as if becoming a bank requires you to be part of the Illuminati. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) But at the same time, if the Reserve Bank, who are in charge of making sure that the currency is and remains something of value, uh, if the Reserve Bank completely locks out cryptocurrencies in this jurisdiction – it clearly means that that creates an impossibility for sure, people sure. in a certain place. Um, and if they say everything's a free-for-all, yep. that it could be chaos and anarchy. Spot on. So it's hard. Like where do you even begin to tackle a yeah. monster like this? Absolutely. I think you know, predicting the future and having a philosophical discussion as to whether the future domain would just be our current incumbents or whether it would be a new class of decentralized institutions only, I, I find that conversation also not valuable. I think in terms of how one kind of gets one's mind around this particular topic, it's it's probably important to kind of maybe start off with what's our current stance mm. on crypto and goodness me, there's a set of different language or terminology that gets thrown at us. So, 
you know, some people call it cryptocurrencies. Others would call it crypto assets. Some of them would call it crypto tokens and mm-hmm. others would call it, like our governor, crypto things. <laughs> but maybe he's got the best definition. It, it could be. <laughs> because what, still, what is this thing? Well, we're still seeing this debate around is it a store of value? Is it an actual currency? Yes. Is it, is it something yeah. completely different? Is it a new yeah. class of assets? How do you tax yeah. it? How do you value it? Spot on. I would almost venture the following and I would say, look, I think, I think as, as a starting point, it's certainly not legal tender. That's absolutely clear. It is not cash and coins. It's also not commercial bank money. It's not issued by any central entity, any single entity. So I almost think of it in the most simple manner as being some digital numbers that exist over the internet that entities find value in. Now, I know that definition might be really broad, but I think about it and I think, well, if I want to exchange value with Gareth and we trust in these particular sets of numbers, and let's call it Gareth coin Mm -hmm. (laughs) as an example, between the two of us, including a set of intermediaries that can validate that particular transaction, a set of computers, if we trust that that string of numbers is Gareth coin, we could then trade using that particular coin. Now, you can only imagine that for a central bank, one sits back and asks the following questions. So who is the issuer of this particular token and how do you hold that particular set of entities or or a single entity or set of entities responsible for the value that it claims to hold? What happens if Garrett says, hey, you sent me the money, I didn't receive it. You, you sent me the money. I want to send it back to you. I've got, I've got a concern around this. Who would you call? Now, our current stance on crypto, let's call it tokens, is if any individual in South Africa or collective participates in these crypto tokens, the risk is theirs. The question that you may ask is why? Why is the risk not covered by a central bank? And the answer is very simple. It's a token that's not issued by a legal entity. Right. I don't have any problem with that. I think that that's quite a, a reasonable position for the Reserve Bank to take. I don't think the Reserve Bank should be responsible for anyone who engages in any kind of commercial transaction which is beyond the law or is not under its jurisdiction. The corollary to that, though, is that if there are rewards, because there are risks, if there are yes. rewards, that they should have no part to play in those either. Like, let's imagine I take the risk of transacting with someone in – China and I buy something and it is delivered and I'm very happy with the transaction and all parties are pleased. There's no real issue there. If, however, there are customs and tax implications oh. to these things and they don't happen by any border, yeah. how do we then factor in that part of things? And, yeah. and, and of course, I mean, I know if you look at a banknote, it says I promise to pay the bearer, even if it's been taken off in words. That's what it always used to be. Yeah. And you had that backed up by gold or something. Yes. Yep. And the Reserve Bank said, well, if this money arrives with you and you do need to exchange it for something of intrinsic value, we'll yeah. give it to you. Yep. That doesn't Certainly, happen with yeah. cryptocurrency. Nobody expects the Reserve Bank yeah. to do that, right? Yeah. So I think your point is an, an excellent one, which is – Let's test your argument, right? Your argument is if one does not regulate this particular domain, then your argument is that it should not incur taxation. Well, right? that's part of it, but it also should not incur the machinery of state at its cost yeah. having to get involved in people transacting with each other individually. Yeah. I suppose the key question is, is what are the risks involved in these particular transactions? 
And I suppose it's not just a question that the central bank would ask, but it would be a question that any of the other financial mm. um, sector regulators would ask. So I'll pick two in particular. If you think of the Financial Intelligence Center, they would probably ask questions slightly different from the central bank. They would ask questions like, are these transactions being used for illicit purposes? And if so, um, do we have, do we have um, line of sight of what these particular transactions are and, and the risks that it may, it may incur? Putting it simply, is there money laundering activities <laughs> right. under, underlying sure, these or, transactions? Or, or terrorism or, terrorism or drug trafficking or whatever Absolutely. else. And for society at large, even beyond South Africa, I'm guessing you know, every good citizen all over the world would say, hey, we don't want to support a system that – but right. I, but I like I like that as a theoretical discussion. It, right. You know, there pe- there's someone who owes me two hundred and fifty thousand rand, and I can't get the guy to pay me. And it's not yeah. like the Saab are running to help me. Yeah. And that's real legal tender that he <laughs> owes me. So I, I understand the, the the theory, and you have to have you know policy is not made from practical experience that's then converted. Sure. But why would you be particularly interested if someone was, for example, buying opium poppies from Afghanistan? <laughs> what difference does it make if he's buying them in South Africa, but he's selling them to Americans mm. from Afghanistan? Let's say yeah. Afghanistan have no problem with you buying and selling yeah. poppies. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. <laughs> Look, it's difficult. I mean, you can argue philosophically about that, these. What if my uh, terrorist organization are your freedom fighters and vice versa? Yeah, it, it becomes quite philosophical, right? <laughs> so let's take another example then, right? Let's say you are interested in um, buying a number of crypto tokens, sure. right? And you're not really sure what the rules of the game are. So let's say you wanted it back because all of it back. Let's say it was 100,000 tokens, Right. And you see that the price of these particular tokens are decreasing. Right? Like they are right now. Like some of them are right now. What happens if the entity, let's say it's a crypto exchange that you've been dealing with, says to you, thank you. When I took your money, I've taken it in real time. But when I want to give you back your fiat, you know, it's going to take me quite a while. Mm. So I think those are the kind of questions that we're wrestling with. So the first question in our mind is, what is the legal definition of this particular instrument? I think that's the first thing that we've got to battle with, mm. right? The second one is, what are the underlying risks that we see in this particular system? And is it of such a systemic nature that we think that regulations are required? Well, can I ask you a practical question? Yes. Because you also have – you don't just have individuals to protect here or, or, the, or the, the flow of money um, because a lot of people would misinterpret that as, as kind of draconian control. But yeah. you also have the interests of – the yeah, collection the, the of collection. people who call yeah. themselves South Africans and the state, frankly, which Absolutely. has an interest in all of our money because they take the fruits of our labor and turn yeah, that into certainly, tax. Certainly. So you have to safeguard that stuff. So what are the imperatives from a government point of view? And, and do you guys get like a briefing from the Minister of Finance or whoever else it might be in government who says, listen, go after these cryptocurrency bastards because they're taking <laughs> money out of the country? I think the imperative is to firstly understand what's going on in the landscape, right? And at present, you know, across the globe, we see that the uptake of crypto tokens is really for speculative purposes. So it's not like people in large numbers are shifting fiat from banking accounts into crypto tokens. That's not the case. But I think we have to be aware and awake to what the potential is. And and let's say, Gareth, hypothetically, right, that you would get – 80% 80% as an example, I mean a hypothetical example, 80% of current liabilities, current deposits moving from bank accounts into crypto exchanges. Wow. 80%, that would be a that, major, major change. Absolutely. Now, now the challenge there isn't just about a medium of exchange, 
right? It isn't about people, ah, and I've got my crypto token. I can exchange my crypto token for goods that I'm going to buy in China. And, and it can happen quick. It can happen seamlessly. Sure. The issue there is more about the stability of the system, the impacts that it may have on the current system, et cetera, the impact it may have on lending as an example, right? Now, I don't think that's the situation that we're in, not by a long shot. Our own estimates of it is that the volume and value of crypto tokens is very tiny in comparison to you know the current system. The question then becomes all the, the tough stuff that you've been asking, right? How do you allow for some of the innovation to continue? Because that may generate millions, billions perhaps even for the economy. It could, and, and depending on depending in, in, on how in, in fiat. Yeah, it, depending on how one probably applies a fiscal regime to it. I know SARS has come out describing not so long ago, one could declare these as income and, and declare it as income tax, etc. What I'd like to share at this stage is that we're actively working as regulators, together with the National Treasury, mm. together with the FIC, together with the FISCA, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority, the Oaks that worry about the consumer protection stuff, etc. And we're reviewing each of the use cases. So the ability to buy crypto from an exchange, the ability to uh, make payments for a KFC, sure. um, right? The ability to do... Those must um, be very complex meetings because you've got a lot of different interests competing. Absolutely. There. Absolutely. It's not easy. So we've been unpacking these use cases. And I think the approach that we're going to use is, again, one that looks at it in a very balanced manner. So looking at the benefits that could derive from these particular use cases and equally looking at the risks. Would we come up with the right answer? I think <laughs> the answer to that would be as we look at what's going on in the global community and looking at what other regulators do, we'll try and find, as Lorian Gamarov described it, a kind of balanced medium between just overly regulating something for regulation's sake, which does not make sense uh, whatsoever, versus you know finding a very balanced, light-touch, potentially regulatory medium. So by no means adversarial. Yes, by no means adversarial. You know, again, I reiterate, if we look at the activities and the volumes and the values for crypto assets in this jurisdiction right now, it's, it's a tiny percentage. Sure. But it is something that you guys are thinking about. It is something we're thinking about, so, certainly. So is there a current position or are you still busy unpacking yes. that and deciding on the policy, Yes. For a, which will be obviously promulgated at a future date? What is the status quo now yeah. for individuals or companies? Yeah. For trade, for income tax, for customs and regulatory yep. stuff. Yep. Where are we right now? Where yep. do you foresee it going yep. based on, again, in a very general sense, because I don't want to tie you to this. Yep. These things are probably quite fluid. Based on the conversations that you are having with Treasury and with FIC and with you know, the guys in the, in the competition commission and the rest of it. So the current position is pretty clear. It's a 2014 position that says, and forgive me for repeating it again, mm -hmm. if you participate in crypto tokens, crypto assets, etc., the risk your is risk. yours. At yes. your risk. What isn't said is that, is it laser fair? Can I buy, as Gareth, any amount of crypto tokens? The answer is no. From a local exchange, surely, yes, you know, there are opportunities for you to purchase from them. But if you're wanting to buy, and you mentioned it, you said, oh, is money leaving the country? If you're wanting to buy from a foreign exchange, then there's limits in place, typical exchange control limits. So there's a million rand single discretionary allowance, and that limits you. Will this position stay? In other words, is our 2014 position still relevant? I think that's what we're debating right now. Uh -huh. 
That's what we're debating. And, and yeah. what indications are coming from the various participants in these meetings? I think one of the concerns, honestly, although the volumes are tiny and the values are still tiny in comparison, one of the concerns is people losing value. We've heard, and I mean, this is anecdotal, right? We've heard of people buying cryptos using their credit cards and using, you know, it's, it's almost like, wow, I even had a community member from Chatsworth, where I'm from, mm. um, riding in a taxi saying, hey, we heard you work for the Saab. You know, you guys are looking at Bitcoin. And when you regulate it, it's going to be safe for us. And I tell you what, I've taken some money from some friends and I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. That's the kind of concerns that I think the regulators would look at. We've heard worse stories, people mortgaged houses yeah, and yeah. all kinds of crazy yeah. things. And, you know, again, <laughs> at your risk… Yeah. If you make a stupid yeah. decision like that, you bear the consequences. Absolutely. But in the greater scheme of things for the Reserve Bank, that could be a source of some very serious yep. concern. Ab absolutely. I think those are the particular things that we've got to look at. And the cautionary note, I think, is a start to caution members of the public that if you're buying cryptos, the risk is yours and you may lose value, et cetera, et cetera. I think, though, as we look at some of the other jurisdictions, you, you asked where to from here. My sense of it is that there could be real value in applying very light-touch regulation that allows for transparency. So there's a reporting regime. One understands what's flowing in and what's flowing out. There's transparency. So if you ask me how much money has left the country, we should be able to answer that in a second. We should also be able to pick up on what the real issues are in terms of customer complaints and, and stuff like that, Gareth, here. You know, a lot of people would say, well, if SARS or if – the South African Reserve Bank or the Treasury should have oversight in matters such as these. And, of course, yep. this is a sovereign state, so those are the institutions that would be required to make those calls. But if they can't, for example, look after a VBS bank, <laughs> why should they be looking after cryptocurrencies? Surely let the free market risk takers do what they wish there at their own peril or to their own great success – why muddy the waters with uh, with politicians and government and regulations and policy? Yeah, that's a that's a tough and naughty one, Gareth. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think, you know, I, had to I ask. think we're we're probably we're probably talking about two very different scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. And you'll probably accept that. You know, the one scenario I'm not going to comment on. I think uh, it may not go yeah, there. It's ongoing discussion. But I would argue quite strongly, you know, that aside from anomalies. Our banking sector is pretty safe. I think everybody right? would agree. Everybody would agree with that. And that's on account of, you know, some very clear regulatory frameworks, guidelines, standards, etc. On the crypto side, one would have to accept that, again, if the systemic risk and the interconnectedness of these instruments is low, meaning right now I can only use these instruments, firstly, as a speculative asset. Secondly, I can also use it to move some funds around. Sure. But does it impact credit lending? Does it impact insurance? Does it impact investments? Is it interconnected with the financial ecosystem? I would argue right now the answer is no. Mm. Right Now, if that changes over time, I mean, the technology is changing at such a rapid pace. One of the things people keep arguing with me is, and I'm playing devil's advocate now, ah, but, you know, the number of transactions you could do with uh, Bitcoin, as an example, is just 10 per second as compared to, uh, you know, current systems, which can get up to 25,000 transactions a second, mm. right? I think we're humble in understanding that the technology, you know, underlying uh, Bitcoin and uh, Litecoin and so on, like, you know, blockchain and distributed ledger technology is shifting at a pace that is quite significant. It's frightening. So 
With the current status quo remain in terms of thinking around a regulatory framework, my suspicion is the answer to that is no. Well, you see, you guys also get a tough rap because usually regulators are the slowest to move because they have to take cognizance of the entire ecosystem yeah. and they have to input a lot of data before they make a prejudicial yeah. decision, right? Yeah. I'm curious also about the things that you're excited about because clearly a person like you is not at SARS to build walls and dig ditches and draw lines. Yeah. You're there to look at ways that you can perhaps stimulate the economy, that this will help not just our currency – but growth and all kinds of other things. So what are you excited about in the world uh, of cryptocurrency? Absolutely. So I'm what, trying not to yeah, let you be the yeah, villain. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'll, I'll try and broaden it. I'll tell you what, what's exciting right now about the world of fintech. I think back about 10, 12, maybe even 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and the most exciting thing we could talk about in payment systems was mobile payments, right? And, you know, at best, we'd talk about a new standard that would that would come out globally called ISO 20022, et cetera. If I look at the amount of innovations that are happening globally right now in the fintech domain, that excites me tremendously. I'll pick three as appetizers sure, sure. very, go. very quickly. Right. Okay. Let me keep close to the crypto world, right? Mm-hmm. So the first one is distributed ledger technology. We've just run a pilot, right, um, as the South African Reserve Bank, a proof of concept. Let me not call it a pilot. A proof of yes. concept called Project Coca. Yes. Okay. Meaning to pay, of course, yes. right? Coca. Project Coca, yes. right? And, and Project Coca um, was about understanding the potential of distributed ledger technology for wholesale payments, very large value payments. Mm. Now, believe it or not, in our economy, this is an amazing stat, right? 92% of the value that processes in our economy every day, 350 billion, goes through a system in the South African Reserve Bank called SAMOS, South African Multiple Operating System, yes. right? And that's funds that flows between banks, 92% of the value in real time, God. absolute real time. The question that we then had was, could we, and the only way that you could do that is if you hold an account with the Reserve Bank, mm. right? If you hold an account in Samos, like you would hold an account at APSA, banks mm-hmm. hold mm-hmm. accounts with Samos, we would then be able to process these accounts. But the essence of it is that you've got to keep funds with us in advance. The question now became, what happens if we, on a distributed ledger, could enable Bank A to pay Bank B ultimately without the South African Reserve Bank being involved? Or without you having to, to dedicate time and attention and yeah. effort and manpower and yeah. resources and yeah. everything else to it. Abs- absolutely. Uh, and the distributed ledger gives you transparency. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, there are a lot of benefits here. Yeah. I'd on. imagine costs would come right down. Spot on. Yeah. Well, potentially. So, you know, that's an open question for us right now. So we ran proof of concept. Now, normally to build a real-time gross settlement system, these high-value payment that's systems. That's very good. That's very exciting. So right. you're already piloting this as an idea. We've finished the proof of concept. Wow. It took us 14 weeks in total in order to develop a distributed ledger system. Hmm. That excites me. The question that people would have then is, is that going to be the system that replaces the current system. And I think the answer to that, again, and bear with me, right? It's about the interconnectedness with other systems. Mm. So if you think of payments, you make payments for particular things. Now, high-value payments you make to buy bonds and securities and equities and so on. Now, my take on it is the excitement lies in trying to understand as we go forward whether the systems like security systems and derivative systems and so on, right, whether these could benefit from the type of 
proof of concepting that we've been doing for, for Project COCA. And obviously, a lot of the systems are, for want of a better word, some, somewhat analog by comparison with the digital yeah, of the yeah, distributed cer- ledger. So you, they have yeah. to be able to communicate with absolutely. each other. Absolutely. You can't give a neurosurgeon Spot an axe and yeah, expect them yeah. to do their job. Absolutely. Um, Lots of reconciliations in the background. And the yeah. question is, to your point, if you've got this distributed system which has a transparency and immutability of the data, right. what does it do? Well, it's incorruptible. Right? Yeah. And you can have many people improving on it in different places to try and get it yeah. to, to work optimally Absolutely. without any of them necessarily being able to influence the end result negatively. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. I think anyone would go for that. Uh, you want the honest results. The second and the The second and things. the third, right. So, I, you know, the first one kept close to distributed ledger technology. The second one, in my mind, is and, – and I keep going to the example of what's happened in India, mm-hmm. right? India has created something called the India stack. Yes. It's four layers, mm-hmm. right? Now, imagine a future system where all I would need to know is Garrett's virtual payment address. It's Garrett at – Cliffhanger. Sure. That's it. Yeah. Garrett at Cliff. <laughs> yeah. Right. What and else? I can make sure. payments to you without any additional requirements. Think about it right now. If I needed to pay you as we sat here, I'd have to get your account number. Mm. I'd have to know who your bank was. So every, that excites every, me. Every time you do anything these days, you fika the hell out of it. It's 23,000 pages to get anything done. <laughs> you know, it complicates things. So from yeah. an identification point of view, yeah. that's very, very welcome. Absolutely. I think, you know, as we start thinking of modernizing our payment systems and bringing with it ease and convenience and you know the ability for people to do things in real time and simply you know that's the next exciting bit for us and the third one I'll broaden it and I'll say the third one is really around a broader set of financial services right so it's credit lending insurance investments etc and I would think that new exponential technologies right like AI, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and machine learning, and mm-hmm. big data. You know, I think it just has so much of potential, right? So today we have very traditional scoring models in the financial sector. What happens if I could look at your social media profile and draw patterns that determine if Gareth has a dog and it's a German shepherd and he has these friends, you know, the likelihood of him paying back is is so much better. <laughs> right? People are beginning. Not, just not that Chinese system of social capital. Oh, yes, for sure, please, for sure. Because we don't want to be for rated sure. like that because that's open to abuse. Obviously. For sure. The future world of finance is going to change. And the type of services that we're going to see is both an improvement from incumbents without without a shadow of doubt. But we're also going to see non-incumbents, fintech firms, mm-hmm. beginning to challenge the status quo probably partner with incumbents and produce services that we've never seen before. And that's exciting. A last quick example for me would be, you know, when I look at the East and I look at China in particular, and I look at the stuff that's going on with Tencent mm-hmm. and Alibaba and Alipay, it's amazing. I, I sit there thinking, wow, people in rural areas that are able to buy online. Well, this that's is incredible. Some, this is something very, very powerful for us as a value proposition for South Africa. I think the most exciting thing of all, we've got this huge unbanked population. And a lot of these people, if they could move into the digital realm and we didn't have cash, we don't need cash. If we were able to transact honestly in a digital sense, we wouldn't have cash and transitists. We wouldn't have the costs associated with carrying and keeping and using tra- uh, cash transaction. It would make things a lot cleaner, a lot simpler, and a lot safer for a lot of people. Plus, for the ordinary rural South African, and a large percentage of our population have no access to the formal economy, it would provide them with an 
an input, an ability to add value, an ability to get value out. But it isn't yeah. there at the moment. Yeah. I would say, again, looking at the East, you know, if I look at the ability for people to buy in an online world, mm. you know, whether that's groceries or whether that's, you know, more sophisticated electronic devices, sure. you know, and, and have these things delivered to your doorstep. That's a fabulous thing that a physical instrument would not give you, mm. you know, at the same time, you know, I think that the ability for consumers to have a physical instrument that is risk-free backed by a central bank, you know, has huge benefit, you know, sure, these instruments equally have inflationary risk to it, but mm power of having an instrument issued by government, I think is phenomenal. Yeah. And of course, the corollary, or it's the, not even, it's more of a, it's more of an antonym to the synonym yeah. in this respect is that yeah. you won't have a situation where the currency is completely debased, like yeah. perhaps it was in Zimbabwe, yeah. because you have alternatives yeah. and you, you have different stores of value and people don't have to run to ground with gold yeah. as they have been yeah. for thousands of years. A absolutely. It's kind of a, a 21st century approach to Hedging. <laughs> I mean, this is fascinating. Are you confident that South Africa is in a good position to take advantage of the positives in the same way as that 2008 banking crisis didn't affect us as much as it affected other parts of the world? Are you confident that we are protected sufficiently from the vagaries of this market and that we can take advantage of those positives? Or do you think we've got a lot of work to do? I think there's an area of work that we're beginning to work very seriously on mm. called innovation facilitators that we're collectively trying to put together as this body, National Treasury Effects Hub, called the Intergovernmental Fintech Working Group. Mm. And these innovation facilitators, let me make it more practical. There are two key elements to them. The one is a regulatory guidance unit. Mm -hmm. okay, and this is where fintech firms can come to the Saab or the Fisca and say, hey, we're thinking about the following things. What do you think about it? You know, and rather than saying, go get a legal opinion, you know, there's a dialogue that ensues and an understanding of what are the considerations from a regulatory perspective that the innovators need to keep in mind. And perhaps you can be informed by these things. Absolutely. Then. So it's Absolutely. for you. It's research. Absolutely. And then the second one is even more interesting for me. So let's say that we look at a particular innovation and we say, we're actually not sure where this fits within our regulatory framework. There's uncertainty. There's gray area. We see in other jurisdictions like the UK and the Monetary Authority of Singapore, etc., they create these spaces that they call regulatory sandboxes. Our mm -hmm. governor likes to call it regulatory sandpits. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. the space where you can play with innovation and it doesn't limit you, again, within some very defined criterion, we could allow innovators in time to participate in the live environment with a select number of consumers, provided we think the innovation is, is really valuable and addresses matters that you captured, like efficiency and financial it's inclusion. A, it's a fintech beta testing. It, right? it would be. Yeah. Now, again, we're busy in that process, and we're hoping that within the next six to eight months that these structures can be put in place. That's the answer to your question of what more could we be doing. In terms of the stability of the system, I think that some of the reforms like Basel III and the principles for financial market infrastructures, meaning taking care of things like payment systems, security systems, and so on, these standards as they implemented would hold us in good stead over time. To protect us from potential downside. Yeah. It must be one of the most complicated but interesting jobs. I'm going to ask you a bit of a tough question. You, you can demur it if you like. 
Do you think the politicians completely understand and comprehend what's going on here, regardless of what their ideology or their party background or anything else is? Because I get the distinct impression that they do not. And secondly, do you have any cryptocurrency? <laughs> you know, I, I was asking myself, what are the type of questions that Garrett could potentially ask? I spotted the one. <laughs> yeah, right, the crypto one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the answer to the second one is possibly. <laughs> okay. You're allowed to say that. You're a private citizen. I'm guessing you do. I'm guessing you I, I, I have to share a quick joke. Yeah. So a good friend of mine says, the stupidest thing that anyone could ever do is take all their money and put it into crypto tokens. The second stupidest thing that they could do is not at least take some right. and put it into crypto that's tokens. The way, that's a wise position. <laughs> on, on the first one, I would say I've come to appreciate humbly, modestly, over time, working in payment systems and sometimes in security systems and so on. I've come to appreciate the complexity of our financial ecosystem. And I think there has to be appreciation. You know, I keep using these comments quite boldly. And I say banking in particular does not equal to savings, deposits, lending, insurance, and investments. It's far more complex than that. Is it a perfect system? The answer is, the answer is no. Will that system continue to innovate and challenge the total system? Of course. I think the appreciation that we should have for these systems in terms of its ability to perform an economic function for society is very nuanced. And personally, I've come to appreciate it a great deal. That would be my response to it. I get you. Don't worry. Say no more. You've put the best foot of the Reserve Bank forward. I'm not going to squeeze you anymore. Thank you so much. <laughs> what a pleasure to speak to you. Wow. Dr. Arif Ismail is the head of the fintech department of the South African Reserve Bank. And our governor, I like the way he creates his own terminology for this stuff. I hope he has his own crypto token one day. It'll be an interesting one. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. With pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decrypto, brought to you by Luno, the best platform to become educated on all things crypto. Luno makes it safe and easy to buy, store, and learn about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Just visit luno.com forward slash decrypto and sign up to redeem the exclusive promo code if you've listened to this series. This is cliffcentral.com.